PJ and Rachel, or as I call PJ now, Scooter. So <laughs> There's been a rumor going around that I stepped on her toes while we were dancing. That's not true. I had nothing to do with her, her surgery on her foot, so but she is healing. And in fact, she was in Aldi this week, and I was helping her shop, and I had a hard time keeping up with her. So uh, she was zipping around and throwing things in the basket. Both are a rarity, that I'm in Aldi and I'm trying to keep up with her. So, but. Trying out a new cologne this morning, just so you know. And so if you smell something a little bit different, it's a little bit of fish and smoke smell, in case you were wondering. So, yeah, it's probably only for this week. So, now We had our sunrise service this morning, and some of you that were there, you know that uh, it was beautiful this morning. Probably the warmest, um, most pleasant time to be at the, the lakeside this morning, and so it was a rich time, and it was nice to be there, and so for you that came out that morning, uh, thank you. It made it special as well, and uh, we had some fish and some bread, and heard a fish story along the way, so don't worry though. It's not the same message. Some of you have had to listen to me like four or five times this weekend, so um, yesterday was Jonah, and you know, Friday night we listened to, to John, but we're going to look at Matthew today. So um, the resurrection is actually in four, all four of the Gospels, and they're all a little bit different. And part of that reason is they're different because they have different emphasis, but they're also written to different audiences. And so there's things that you can pull from all of them. And so I'd encourage you to, to take a look at maybe this week and do that as a study on the side. But look at the different Gospels and look at the story of the resurrection. They're not long accounts, but they're in all four, and they're important. And as we see and we know here, and we say it often, that the resurrection is key to the Gospel. And we'll actually look at that a little bit later on when we get into Corinthians. I'm going to cover a lot of Scripture this morning, so I'm not going to give you a lot of background, but we're just going to work through because you know what? God's Word speaks very clearly about the resurrection and kind of look at it from a matter of perspective, right? Different people had different perspective of the resurrection, and we need to have a proper perspective. And so that's what we're going to look at. Um, so let's turn to Matthew, or it should be... Man. Thank you, Ike. It'll be up on the big screen. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became, had to travel some men. All right, so you have the scene, right? They're going early in the morning. They've had to travel some distance. They're walking on their way. And you can imagine at that point their despair, right? They're going to prepare a body that's been there for a while. And again, they're grieving the loss of someone they cared about very much, someone they loved. And so you can imagine that there's probably not a lot of conversation going on between them. They're walking. Their heads are down. They don't want to say much. They're probably just saying, what do we do now? We've got this task ahead of us, and we're on our way. And maybe one of them said, I wonder about that stone, how we're going to get that out of the way. 
We also find out in this account that there were two guards there, right? We know from some of the other scriptures leading up to it that the, the Jewish leaders had guards stationed there. In fact, they, they even put a seal on the outside to make sure that nothing could tamper the tomb. We'll see why that was important to them, right? It's amazing that even though they didn't really realize um, that Jesus was the Messiah, they were so afraid that the word would get out and that if he truly was resurrected, how important that was. And so their perspective is one of concern and doubt. We also see an angel appear on, the, on top of the stone, right? A messenger. He's, he's, he's there to give a message to these two young ladies who come to do a, a dirty deed, or a task that's not, not pleasant. Verse 5, we pick up the story again. It says, The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, and now I have told you. So the angel's there as a messenger. He's telling them what to do. In fact, he says, hey, you want proof? And Joe mentioned Thomas, but even these ladies, hey, come look at the tomb yourself. Go inside. See that he's not there. You don't have to do this job that you've taken on, this task, this task of love. Because guess what? He's not there. He's gone. He's risen. He's risen from the dead. And the first thing that they, the, the command is to good news. Go and tell. Go and tell the disciples. Let them know. Let them know the good news. You can only imagine their perspective, right? They're, they're in the same boat. They've run off on Jesus. They were not there when Jesus needed them. They've also, they weren't there they were there all that time, but they weren't there when they laid him in the tomb. They're not there now. They're back in Galilee. We talked a little bit this morning. They, they, some of them went back to fishing, right? Probably like, oh, we know how to do this, so we'll at least go back to what we know. They don't know what's next. There's confusion. They've kind of lost their way. They're, they're stuck in time. We know Peter is struggling with rejection. Right? Because he had denied Jesus. So it's an unsettled time. But there's hope. And there's good news coming. Back to the story. It says, So the woman hurried away from the tomb and yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met with them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Actually, John gives the account that, that Mary grabbed on to Jesus so hard that he had to finally say, hey, you need to let go. You need to go. You need to get going. Again, at that point, she's holding on for dear life. She's got the grip. She's so happy to, to see him. 
sure there's amazement too, and she can't believe what she's seen. She's met with an angel, and now she's met with a risen Lord. Can you imagine her perspective at this point? The wonder. And I'm sure she doesn't want to leave. She doesn't want to leave Jesus' friends. She, she's like, hey, I finally got you back. It's hard for us to imagine. We, we don't have that perspective. But this is all that's part that's going on through her head. A little bit further on here, another perspective. Verse 11 says, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. If this report gets out to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Another perspective, right? Now, from the guards' perspective, they're, they're telling the truth. Although they're probably telling the truth with some hesitancy. And the fact that they go to the chief priest and not to the Roman commander shows who was behind really placing the guards in the first place. Romans didn't really care. Pilate wasn't concerned that they were guarding the tomb. Again, they were just performing the task, but the chief priests were. Their perspective, from their perspective, is, hey, we got rid of this guy. We, we've got our combats, we've got our positions, we're all set. Yet, these two guards come back and they say, he's not there. And again, they, they've got a problem now. They've got, they've got a problem because now that is part of Scripture. They do know that part and say, what if he really is resurrected? Oh, no. They know the story. They know what's been going on. Remember the, the story of Lazarus. Remember the, the disturbance that caused in the city. Right? So they've got a problem. So what do they do? Again, these are the chief priests. What do they do? They devise a lie. Right? And they pay off these guards, basically, to tell this lie and to perpetuate this lie. Right? Because they can't have it getting out that Jesus rose from the dead. They know. They know the implications. Yet they circulate this lie. So again, from their perspective, they're not happy about the resurrection. What a reverse, huh? What a, what a, what a contrast between Mary and the chief priests. All right, let's take another jaunt with me, if you will. Let's head over to Corinthians. Because I want to dispel this, this lie or this myth that's going on a little bit. And so, Corinthians chapter 15. I, I told Ike I was going to wake and work this morning. He's, he's had to work a lot already. So, um, But another perspective. Again, this is some time down the road. This is quite a few years down the road. This is Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. Some of you that have been here at Point Way, you know we spent all of our, a good portion of last year when we got back um, on the book of Corinthians. And so this may sound familiar to you, but it's vitally important as well. Verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel 
that I preached to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Right? Paul's reiterating, this is of the most important, the gospel. Hold on to it. This is, this is what I've told you. This is what I want you to pass on. Don't miss this. That hold firm, it's actually the same word that's used with Mary when she was holding on to Jesus. Kind of neat how those two go together. But it's to stand on, to hold firm, to grasp with that grip to not let go. Because he says, if you don't, it's not a Otherwise, you believe in vain. It all means nothing. It's, it's, not, it's not of any use to you. Verse 3, For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve and after that, he appeared to many more, more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to, the, to James and to the other apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one who is abnormally born. Again, Paul's speaking this, and he's saying, hey, first importance, right? The gospel, the gospel message, he reiterates it, Right? Jesus died on the cross for our sins, right? We celebrated that on Good Friday. We had that, that service over at Remnant, right? He was buried, all according to the scriptures, and that he rose again, which is what we're celebrating this morning. Praise God, right? See how you need all of those, though? We've talked about how important the resurrection is. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel, and without that part, it's all in vain. There's no salvation. Interestingly here, the Corinthians, Paul puts this in here, and it helps us. That rumor that was going on, most likely was still going on to that day. Remember those chief priests that started that rumor and paid off? This would have been the, the other side of it, the, the case for Christ, if you want to use that term, that he did rise from the dead. Not only the 12, but 500 at one time. I've often said, right, if, you, if there's a crime, right, what, what's the first thing an officer looks for, right? Looks for an eyewitness, right? You're lucky if you get one good eyewitness. You might get two if, if it happens. But to get over 500 at the same time, yeah, there would be no doubt. You wouldn't you would have a hard time putting up much of a case against that. Plenty of witnesses, right? And so it's a fact, it's true, it happened, and the witnesses are there to prove it. Paul goes on a little bit more, again, reiterating how important the resurrection is. He says, for I'm the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called one, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. Again, the importance of the resurrection, right? 
And Paul's saying, hey, this resurrection, this salvation even came to me. Paul had a pretty good perspective, right? He had persecuted the Christians. He, of anyone, could have said, hey, I'm not worthy. That should give us hope, right? None of us are too far gone to accept the gift of Christ. Paul knows that, and he preaches that, and he gladly shares that with others. Paul had a really good perspective of the resurrection. It's of first importance. It's crucial to the gospel. Has to have it. Just a couple more verses here in Corinthians and we'll move on. It says, but if I preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. It's the beauty of the resurrection, right? We can join that resurrection. That's our hope. That's our hope of, of future. That's when we can look forward to heaven. It's all because of the resurrection. Joe mentioned it, right? If Jesus had just died on the cross for our sins, that would have been plenty. And, and many would say he was just a good teacher, or a good rabbi. Maybe he was a good man. Maybe he was a martyr. But he had much more than that. He's our hope. He's our hope for the future. Eternal life through him. All right. Perspective. Head over to Colossians with me, just briefly. Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is you, no, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This needs to be our perspective. It's especially our perspective if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Right? You've been raised with Christ. You have eternal life. And with that perspective, he says, set your things on above, right? On heaven. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to kind of get stuck with my head down and only in my own little, little world right? Small, small, small grouping. I forget about my perspective that goes beyond even my life, beyond my circle. It's one of the reasons we do missions moments, to kind of give that broader scope even in our missions, right? We learned about Japan this morning and what's going on there. Because otherwise our perspective gets really closed in. But even bigger than that, the perspective of eternal life with Christ. He says, set your mind on these things, not earthly things. Those earthly things will bring you down, they'll drag you down, but we have a hope that goes beyond that. It says your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ who is in you, right, is, he's inside of us, lives within us, within the Holy Spirit. We have that hope. And again, when he appears again, we'll see him in glory. Can't wait to that day. What a day that'll be. All right, I know I'm going to mess some of you up, but let's head back to Matthew, back to chapter 20, 28. So I want to pick up the story here. And again, it's a little bit more down the road. It's time has gone on. And just one more perspective. In light of what we've talked about this morning, what do we do with all that? What's next? Right? We're not there yet. We're not, we're not in heaven this morning. We're, we're getting all the time, but we're not there yet. So what do we do in the meantime? What's next? If you're a believer, what's next? What do we do? That's the, the question I get asked quite often from folks who just come to, to Christ. They go, well, now what? What do I do? Well, God gives us that. Look at these verses starting in verse 16. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? I said, with that perspective of salvation and that longing and that hope of future glory being with him, in the meantime, we're to go and tell others, right? This passage is called the Great Commission, right? The, the, to, to go out, to let others know, making disciples, helping people learn about Jesus, sharing that good news. Preaching what Paul preached, right? You could take those, those, those verses, those three verses, and just preach that. That message preaches pretty well. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again. A lot of pastors, that's a good three-point message, really quick and easy. But it's a first important. It's important. But notice it doesn't say that only the pastors are supposed to go. In fact, this message doesn't even apply just to the disciples. This is for all of us. We are all to tell others about Jesus. So, all that being said this morning on Resurrection Sunday, hopefully I've given you something to think about, but think about the different perspectives, right? Perspective of the women, right? Their tears, their sorrow turned to joy wouldn't even want to let go of Jesus. Think about the perspective of chief priests. Oh no. Jesus rose from the dead. We've got to come up with a plan. Right? We've got to discredit that. They knew what that meant. They knew, but they didn't have the heart. Right? They didn't have the connector. We also see the perspective of the disciples. They're still not sure. Jesus reassures them. We know that later on, after this point, after the ascension and the day of Pentecost, we'll, we'll probably get to that at some point here, close. 
but they go out and preach the good news. So what is your perspective this morning of the resurrection? How do you view it? And what are you going to do about it? Simple questions, but not easy to do. But yet, we're commanded to do it. So take some time this week. Like I said, read through the Gospels and maybe put it into practice. Not maybe. Do it. Bow with me, please. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you did not stay in the grave. That you rose again, that we may have hope in you of our own resurrection. Spend eternity with you in glory. Lord, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, Lord, that we have the means to be able to do that. Lord, help us to have the right perspective when we see others. That we not just keep it to ourselves, but that we share it with those around us. Lord, give us opportunities, maybe even today with family and friends as we gather around a meal or spend the afternoon, that we would be bold enough to give us the exact words to say as we share the good news and the reason we celebrate today. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. actually have kind of a unique opportunity this morning. We're actually um, also going to celebrate communion this morning um, as a body of Christ together. To anyone who believes, uh, for you that are visiting, just so you know, um, our communion table is open to anyone who believes, so it's not a, a membership requirement or anything like that. It's an open table to anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, and we like to do that together. And so that table is open to you this morning um, if you're with us as a believer. One of the things, though, we like to do is we like to take a pause here, and Scripture instructs us, it says, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread or drinks from the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so as a way to prepare and to get ready, what we like to do here at Point Away is right where you're at, just bow your head, close your eyes, and it's just a time to take between you and God to make sure things are right. And if they're not, then let the cup pass by. It's not the right time. But just take a moment right where you're at, and we'll give you time to do that right now.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have forgiveness of sins through you. And Lord, as we take a moment to not only celebrate the resurrection, we take a moment to look back at the sacrifice that you made on the cross for us. And Lord, for the bread represents your body that was hung on that cross for us, the perfect sacrifice. Lord, we also are thankful for the cup and the, the juice that's inside, Lord, as it represents your blood that was shed as the payment for sin. Lord, we thank you that that was the final payment that had to be made. Lord, that we just need to accept it. Lord, we thank you for your gracious gift on our behalf. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. the bread from underneath and scripture goes on to say for I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is in the new covenant is my, in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat this from this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. And Lord, we thank you for what it represents. Lord, we also recognize that there are still cups and bread left over. Lord, as we've talked about, let us be mindful of those who do not know you yet. And that we share the good news with them so that they may too join us and celebrating what you did on the cross for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.